This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to the show our state senator, some of the state senator for much of our listenership, Joe Comerford. Joe is the senator from the Hampshire, Franklin, and Worcester district, which has, I believe, one, one municipality in Worcester uh, County. Senator? Oh, well, after the election and then when I get sworn in, it'll have four Worcester towns. Really? Okay. Yeah. So absolutely, I appreciate I appreciate that clarification. Uh, I I'd like to go back with you. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but tomorrow, of course, is election days. Uh, some people have voted early and or by mail, uh, but most people still will vote tomorrow. And I'd like to spend some time with you today to go over some matters that are on the ballot, all of our ballots, and start with the question that is. Well, we have five of them in most places, four in some, four ballot questions. They're all important. Let's start with the fourth, question four. And I know you've taken a position on this, and we have talked about it, but I think it's so crucially important, a moral issue, an economic issue, a human rights issue, and a public safety issue all wrapped into one. Senator, tell us about question four. Um, Thanks, Bill. Yes, I agree with you on all of those accounts, and yet four all of our purposes tomorrow. What question four is about is safer roads. That is what the organizers are asking us to remind people that when we vote yes on question four, as I will uh, do, um, we are making our roads safer. Question four simply is this. It asks the question whether or not we should keep the Work and Family Mobility Act, which is a piece of legislation passed twice by the legislature, um, whether we should keep it in place um, and not scuttle it, as organizers would like us to do. The Work and Family Mobility Act simply allows for licenses, access to driver's licenses, for everyone, regardless of immigration status. And an access to a driver's license means an access to driver's education, it means an access to driver's insurance, and it means safer roads. Right. It increases the uh, motivation to stay at the scene of, a, uh, of an accident, for example, because, well, people who don't have licenses um, can be in trouble significantly if there's immigration status issues that could, through a a uh, circuitous route, and sometimes not a circuitous route, end up in deportation. So, being, Absolutely. you know, it's 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 a uh, it's it's a system that makes little sense to me. I'll tell you the one part that I um, I, I had a piece on this in this weekend's Daily Hampshire Gazette, and of course came out in favor of question four. Uh, one thing I didn't uh, emphasize that I wish I had in that piece is that there is this misconception that somehow by getting a driver's license, uh, people will cut in line. They'll go to the, they'll have some favorable uh, immigration uh, thing will happen because of a driver's license. And that's just not true. There are a number, that's not true. There's no basis for their claim, none, none, none. And yet there are these, uh, this misinformation about question four that is circulating that uh, I hope doesn't have currency, but it might. Your, your thoughts about that, Senator? Sure, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the misinformation on this is largely fueled by, unfortunately, xenophobia, right? Um, and, uh, and it is driving people to have some confusion. You are correct. There is no evidence that shows that having a driver's license would hasten an, Im- hasten an immigration process. The other thing that folks talk about all the time is whether or not having this access to a driver's license would potentially um, leave our election system vulnerable. Now, we have to remember that 17-year-olds, right, are in our driver's system. Folks who are here with green cards get driver's licenses. There are processes already in place in the Commonwealth to prevent people who cannot vote from voting. So that is also unfounded. There are numbers of others, you know, other, you know, mistruths, half-truths, or, you know, outright lies about this ballot question. The single thing it does is allow everyone to get a driver's license. The other thing folks should know is, boy, we wouldn't be the first. I think we'd be the 15th state 
in the United States, 16th, maybe, Bill? We, we become um, the seventh. We're the 17th seven, with passage. Yep. 17th. There you go. Um, so, you know, other states are doing this to absolutely good ends, which is why sheriffs, police chiefs, mayors, district attorneys all want Massachusetts to make our roads safer by making sure everyone on the road has a driver's license. Simple. This is not a conversation about immigration. It's not a conversation about racial justice. It's not a conversation about any of those things right now. For us on this radio program, it's safer roads, and it's really pragmatic, and we should just get this thing done. Yeah, it's it's striking to me that there uh, – I mean, I think question four should pass overwhelmingly, and it's my certainly my hope that it does – it makes no sense to me for people to say, we want people driving who are uninsured. We want people who are unregistered. We want people who haven't taken a road test. We want people on the road who haven't taken a written test. Uh, let's just put all those people on the road because particularly here in Western Massachusetts, driving is a necessity. Driving right. is a necessity. It's not some kind of luxury. Uh, you don't get to work. You don't get to the fields to pick the crops if you don't have a car. You don't get to well, you, work. I mean, you just you, right. kids when don't I, go to school. It's you got to have a license. It just you it, can't get health care. All of these things, um, right? So when I was campaigning in 2018 for the first time, the number one constituency that I heard about this absolutely specifically from was small business owners, farmers, the folks who are reliant on a robust workforce. They said, fix this problem, for God's sake, because I need people to come to work to open my store. I need people to come to work to, um, you know, to expand my store. I need people to come to my farm. All of these things, they were begging and remain begging for it. Again, if you care about our economy, you vote yes on four. And if you care about safer roads, like we were talking about before, you vote yes on four. There is no reason to vote no unless you subscribe to the lies uh, and the mistruths. That's the only reason. And boy, I believe your listeners are smarter than that, Bill. I think so. And I hope so. And I have already voted yes on four. Uh, to me, the idea that there is opposition, there is no valid argument against this law. This, all the other states uh, that have a law, very similar law, have proven the efficacy of the law. Uh, right. It, and it's just a, a few small folks funded by a lot of big money. So people power has to prevail here. Vote yes on four. That's the take home. Let's turn to question one. Senator. Yep. So question one um, would bring home something called the fair share amendment. Now, here, too, although different interests. Here, too, there have been a lot of um, mistruths, half-truths, you know, uh, sort of sidebar things to distract or detract from question one. I am voting yes on one. Um, Voting yes on one says that individuals um, who make more than $1 million annually, and that is $20,000 a week, uh, I believe that comes out to um, in income, pay an additional 4% on the dollar after the first million and going forward. So if you make a million dollars, you're clear. If you make a million and one, you start paying. That's what we're saying here. And there's a lot of concern about how many people this would affect. And, you know, the, the cases here are a tiny bit more technical. I will just say that researchers from the Mass Budget and Policy Center have really done a very, very good job to help us understand the actual fraction of folks who ultimately would have to pay this additional 4% on every dollar after $1 million. Yeah, and it will raise and, a lot of money that the legislature has to put towards uh, public transportation and public education. So well, tell, and tell us about that. let's talk about that. This is the most important thing I think we can talk about today. Um, 
I get lots of emails about this, and it's folks asking, well, how do I know it's going to go to education and transportation infrastructure? Well, the question says that, that it must. Um, But the issue that we, I think, are conflating this with or mixing it up with is the issue of regional equity. How will we know that Western Massachusetts gets our fair share of that money? And that's a question that I think is worth asking. Um, And, you know, here, while we can guarantee that it's going to go to education, it's going to be the strength and work of the delegation that will make sure that that money comes home equitably. And that is my work um, to do with my great colleagues in the House and the Senate. Um, So while it has to go to transportation and education, it's our job to bring it home equitably. And, you know, that's the work of democracy, right? You hold me accountable to make sure once this thing passes, we, it helps our schools, our roads and bridges, our rails, our buses, um, proportionately, equitably. This is the same fight with the legislature all the time in which you in particular and the rest of the Western Massachusetts delegation actually has been very effective for some years. I mean, East-West Rail, for example, West-East Rail, is an example. It's uh, of how the Western Massachusetts delegation on Beacon Hill is been has been heard uh, and has been effective. Absolutely right. No, you're completely right, Bill. Um, in the transportation bond uh, that passed um, midsummer, uh, we were able to secure two hundred and seventy-five million dollars for rail infrastructure in the region, uh, and we secured the promise of a commission that would develop a regional rail governance. I was appointed to this commission um, along with some uh, good House members and other senators. That commission starts in, you know, a handful of days. Uh, and our job is going to, we're going to have one job, which is how is it that we would govern a regional rail system in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in the Western region? So we're making progress here, leaps and bounds. Attorney General Healy, um, Mayor Driscoll, both have said, um, sh- should they be elected? And we, we are uh, anxious to, to call them governor and lieutenant governor, um, that they would honor this. That you see the promise of rail. Um, so we're already in the pipeline to, to nail this. We need the capital to get it done. Voting no is actually, it's cutting off that potential. It's cutting off a bunch of pilots uh, to expand our bus transit. It's cutting off equitable road and bridge money for our small towns. It's cutting off public higher ed and our K-12 and early child care. This is the money we need to, to, for this new day in both of these areas. Um, and so we'll only hurt ourselves if we vote no here. Right. And I should point out again, question one will only affect you if your adjusted gross income after your tax deductions that you take off if you itemize is over a million dollars, over a million dollars. And then it's only 4%. So uh, for your next 10,000, you make a million and 10,000 dollars. If that's what you're going to do next year and that's your adjusted gross income, you know, you'd pay four cents on the dollars over a million dollars in adjusted gross income. Exactly. It is, for me, a really straightforward question of will we have fairness or shall people who are making over a million dollars a year continue to pay a lesser amount of their income in taxes than people who are making much, much, much less? It's a matter of equity, fairness, decency, common sense. We are speaking. And opportunity. And, and opportunity. And opportunity. Right, you are, Senator. We're speaking with Senator Joe Comerford, Senator for the Hampshire, Franklin, Worcester District. We'll be back more with the Senator right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control. 
white white supremacists, and it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Meet with MiraVista virtually and make your next career move a reality. All day today, MiraVista Behavioral Health Center is hosting a virtual hiring event for RNs and LPNs. MiraVista offers a great working environment, competitive wages and benefits, and sign-on bonuses up to $15,000. A variety of full-time, part-time, and per diem shifts are available. Join a caring team of professionals dedicated to making a life-changing difference for individuals affected by mental health and substance abuse. For details, visit miravistabhc.care. At PV Squared Solar, we live by our mission, energizing a brighter future for people and planet. This year, we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. 20 years of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar. 20 years of relationships founded on trust and clean energy. 20 years of powerful cooperation. Thank you for the partnerships along the way, and we look forward to serving this community for 20 years more. Happy birthday, PV Squared! Learn more at pvsquared.coop. This bona fide minute is brought to you by New England Orthopedic Surgeons of Western Mass. Your shoulder. It's one of the largest and most complex joints in your body, consisting of the bones of the upper arm, shoulder blade, and collarbone, and the rotator cuff, a collection of muscles and tendons that not only surround the shoulder, but give it support and a wide range of motion. Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Competitive hockey and basketball players can sustain shoulder injuries such as shoulder separation and dislocation and tears of ligaments and tendons from sliding into the boards, falling on the ice or court, or direct contact. But shoulder sprains, strains, and tears can also occur in us regular folks at Sunday pickup games, during dreaded winter shoveling, or even through wear and tear over time. So whether you're a professional athlete, weekend warrior, or someone in between, you can trust the team at New England Orthopedic Surgeons to give you the best bona fide care around. Visit neortho.com to schedule your appointment today. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Senator Joe Comerford, Senator for the Hampshire, Franklin, and Worcester District. Senator, I'd like to uh, pivot off the question of the ballot questions in tomorrow's election, and I know you are encouraging everyone who hasn't yet voted to vote. I'd like to go back well, just a very few days, actually, to what the Massachusetts legislature has accomplished, and it's quite a bit with regard to economic development, something that has been uh, in the headlines for months now, uh, and a lot of spending bills uh, passed as well. So tell us what you have been up to in Boston, please. Well, thank you so much. Um, so let me just say it is a great relief that we were able to pass an economic development bill, the one that many people had their eyes on and hopes on, uh, ran aground at the end of July. And it was very, very painful, Bill. It was painful for communities, for nonprofits, um, and for individuals. It had a lot of hopes and dreams dreams bound up in that bill. And, um, and I just want to say to constituents listening that I heard you, um, that it was really, really, really bad timing. For the legislature not be to be able to put that over the line as we should have uh, and as we did and i'm really grateful to the senate president and chair of ways and means uh in the senate for their complete tenacity so the bill we put out is 3.76 billion in spending um that is a little bit less than the economic development bill of the summer because you'll remember that we also uh, found out around the same time, which was part of the difficulty, that we owed back to the taxpayers through this Chapter 62F provision. We owed them um, money 
uh, based on a very archaic law, which I hope to help repeal. So we also are sending back $2.94 billion uh, in uh, tax rebates to, um, to constituents, uh, although it will be inequitably done, meaning um, it will be regressive. The wealthiest will get the very most here um, from that tax rebate. Uh, but together, that formed the basis of the money that the legislature expended, and we also closed out the books. Um, but it's all done, and now we are awaiting the governor's signature. Is he going to sign, as far as you know? Well, my goodness, how could he not? But yes, <laughs> we, believe, we believe that he will sign it. Uh, and when he does, um, things that have been, again, long-awaited, like UMass contract faculty, um, raised ratification, and uh, money for Orange's Fire, $3.4 million, which I uh, secured along with partnership from Congressman McGovern, the amazing Jim, and the amazing Representative Susanna Whips, um, and then other targeted spending that's important to our district. That becomes law, and it starts to flow. With regard to changing the law, could you give us 30 seconds on that? Because I must say I'm happy to get a check uh, from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But, frankly, I think if they had uh, uh, a couple billion dollars to spend, and this is an unexpected windfall, I might want it used for some creative uh, project that would carry us into the next decade or decades to come. So Yes, like climate. For example. Um, for example, right, right, or an overhaul of early child care. For example. Um, anything like that, right. Um, so this is, a, this is an anti-tax provision. It's been on the books since the 80s um, when you know and I know um, that anti-tax thought or a disinvestment thought prevailed about government. Um, it was lurking in the corners. You know, you'll remember the Mass General Laws is hundreds of years old and <laughs> thousands of pages. And so lots of things lurk in there. Um, this was one of them. And, you know, the, it, I think there's a general agreement in the Senate that this is not the way to govern. Uh, that, and when we call things surplus, as people go hungry, there are not enough affordable housing units, families' bank accounts break at the weight of child care, our nursing homes are really breaking under the weight of not being invested in, our hospitals are at capacity, uh, our workforce needs shoring up, small businesses need relief. That's, you know, we can't say that we have a surplus when we understand that the state has a role in all of those areas and more. So we have to address this as a legislature. Uh, I myself uh, personally am interested in repealing Chapter 62F. I'm sure I'm not alone, although I will tell you truthfully, I haven't had those conversations yet. Um, but that is my personal view on this. Uh, I think we can do better. Um, and the Senate president has said she will do better with regard to how we offer tax relief. There are middle-class tax relief packages like a child tax credit expansion and working people tax credit relief like the earned income tax credit, which rewards work. Um, these, are, these are good, well-understood progressive, not progressive as in left, progressive as in the folks in the middle, um, and lower incomes get a disproportionate amount. These are good tax packages. They help the economy. They help people. They do the work of government. And so I am looking forward to a tax package in the coming session that actually does the work of the Commonwealth and invests where we should um, going forward. We have been speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. Oh, Senator, just before we go, because I know we promised the listeners, uh, we don't have time to discuss them, but how are you voting on the other ballot questions, two, three, and five? I am a yes on two, yes on three, and yes on five. Remember, folks, five is a non-binding question, and it appears differently depending on where you are in our district. One is a carbon fee, and one is Medicare for all. I'm for both, but we'll vote on one. So it's easy to remember. Yes, yes, yes. Just say yes on the ballot question. Senator Comerford, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
the latest from WHMP. I'm Monty Belmonte in for Jess Tyler. Traffic was backed up at the intersection of Routes 116 and 47 in Sunderland yesterday afternoon when at approximately 1230, two vehicles collided. Between the two vehicles, there were six occupants, two of which were evaluated by EMS for non-life-threatening injuries. Two South County EMS ambulances and an Amherst Fire Department ambulance responded as well as Sunderland, Deerfield, and Waitley Police. A motor vehicle accident occurred Saturday evening on Northfield Road in Warwick. Warwick Fire Department responded to the scene quickly as dispatchers were able to use the new cell tower in town to find a precise location of the accident. One person was transported to the local hospital by the Orange Fire Department with non-life-threatening injuries. The town of Waitley is accepting proposals for the long-term lease and redevelopment of the former Waitley Center School property. The Center School Visioning Committee recommended a long-term lease to a private entity after examining the town's option of demolition, selling privately, or long-term leasing back in 2020. The town, as the property owner, would be responsible for maintenance costs. The building is listed on the State Register of Historic Places and is zoned as Agricultural Residential. Sealed proposals would be accepted until January 30, 2023. Many area police departments have been experiencing an increase of scams, and officials are warning the public to not click on the bait. Scammers are posing as official department social media profiles and attempting to sell clothing items with department patches. On Friday, the Bernardston Police Department, Northwestern District Attorney's Office, and the Bernardston Senior Center joined at Franklin First Credit Union to collaborate on a workshop about avoiding financial exploitation scams that often target senior citizens. For tonight, mostly clear, it'll be colder, overnight lows 36 to 40. For Tuesday, mostly sunny, much cooler, high temperatures 52 to 56. And the outlook for Wednesday, mostly sunny and cool, highs in the lower 50s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La almirante Rachel Levine, la funcionaria transgénero de más alto rango en los Estados Unidos, dice que es optimista y que las campañas contra las personas trans se desvanecerán con el tiempo, pero podrían empeorar, advierte Levine, antes de que lo hagan. En este momento, el tratamiento de afirmación de género para los jóvenes es la punta de lanza de las guerras culturales, dijo Levine, subsecretaria de Salud de Estados Unidos. Los anuncios que hacen afirmaciones falsas sobre las opiniones médicas para personas transgénero se publican en muchos estados indecisos sobre el ciclo electoral de mitad de periodo. Algunos candidatos republicanos en la boleta electoral en estados de todo el país se comprometen a aprobar leyes que limitarían o prohibirían el cuidado trans. Y las leyes de identificación de votantes más estrictas en muchos estados discutirán que muchos votantes transgénero ayuden a decidir esas elecciones. La tormenta política sigue a una década de creciente atención a la identidad de género, los pronombres, las opciones de tratamiento transgénero, el uso del baño y la elegibilidad deportiva. Algunos padres, maestros y médicos han adoptado el rápido ritmo de cambio, otros son cautelosos y algunos rechazan el movimiento por completo. En otras informaciones y mientras el día de las elecciones en Massachusetts se acerca, siendo este el martes 8 de noviembre, este viernes 4 de noviembre es el último día para votar de forma anticipada en persona en la alcaldía de Holyoke. La elección será oficialmente el martes 8 de noviembre y ese día los votantes podrán ejercer su derecho al sufragio en la casilla electoral designada para su área de vivienda. Para consultar dónde se encuentra su casilla de votación, puede visitar la página web de la ciudad en holyoke.org para obtener más información. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. I got my driver's license last week, just like we always talk. We are joined by Laura Rothelow, who is the field director for the American Civil Liberties Union, Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts, uh, my colleague, as I have another job in addition to this one, as <laughs> with the ACLU of Massachusetts as the managing attorney for Western Massachusetts. Uh, Laura is the field director, as I just mentioned, and as part of her program, part of her responsibilities with the ACLU of Massachusetts, is part of the coalition that is encouraging and working for a yes on four vote tomorrow. And I think there is some reason for optimism, but there's also reason for concern. Laura Rotolo, please tell us, what's the status on question four, and then we'll get to the substance of why people should vote for it. 
Morning, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on and for covering this really important issue as everyone is thinking about voting tomorrow, filling out their mail-in ballots, maybe bringing them into their city halls this morning. Um, yes on four is what we are advocating. It's question number four on the ballot. And what the question is, is whether you agree with the law that was passed earlier this summer, the Work and Family Mobility Act, and it's simply a law that allows all qualified Massachusetts drivers to earn a driver's license regardless of their immigration status. And so it's something that 16 other states did before us. Rhode Island did it right after us. Um, and, you know, states get to decide who can drive legally on their roads. And Massachusetts decided earlier that for public safety, for our communities, it was important that everyone be able to get a license, even if you don't have immigration status. Uh, legal status in the country um, and it was something that was backed by a wide wide coalition of faith groups immigrant groups law enforcement groups because it is an issue of public safety um, and just a few days after the law was passed uh, a group organized to try to repeal it at the ballot and because they did get enough signatures you're going to see question number four on your ballot now and a yes vote will allow us to keep this really important uh, law in place now the other states that have a similar law have not experienced any of the uh, negative consequences that the opponents are promoting as possibilities here. Uh, I, I uh, am afraid of to raise this question of, you know, how, do, how does misinformation and false information get such currency? But here in, in this issue, when law enforcement is overwhelmingly in favor of this, somehow there's still this uh, active opposition, and the polling shows the question to be pretty close. How does that happen? That's right. It is a close question, and I think part of that is just the timing. You know, when the law was passed, it passed overwhelmingly with more than two-thirds of legislators in the state house, overrode a, a, a veto by the governor. Um, but because of the timing, I think people just may not understand it. But once they do, once we st start talking to voters, they do um, understand that it's a public safety issue and that it will benefit everyone, really. Um, the polls are still very close, so it's important to get out there. Every vote is really going to make a difference in this election. Um, and to the issue of misinformation, I think if, if you follow the arguments, you'll see that it's sort of they're changing the goalpost. You know, they say, this is if you know this is what's wrong with this bill this is what's wrong with this law this is what's wrong uh, and then they change it over and over and over again every month it seems like there's a new argument all of those arguments have been debunked um, again because we were the 17th state we saw the experience of all these other states and what they saw was an increase in road safety mainly they saw increases in uh, drivers with insurance and you know, lowering the hit and run rate, because obviously if you have a license and, you know, there's a fender bender, there's an accident, um, you will stay at that accident if you have a license and you're able to identify yourself and you have insurance. Um, and that's great for everyone. So other states saw drops um, in un the uninsured rate um, and decreases in hit and run accidents. So um, it's just a win-win for everyone. The ACLU of Massachusetts has been actively involved in promoting the Work and Family Mobility Act for a long time, for some number of legislative sessions. Why is this a priority for the ACLU? Well, it's a priority because, you know, part of our civil rights um, mission is to make sure that everyone is treated the same, right, regardless of your race, regardless of your immigration status. We want everyone to be treated equally. And that's one of the foundational principles of the ACLU. And so when we saw that our, you know, undocumented immigrants, uh, neighbors and friends were treated differently, were really um, so vulnerable when they're out there driving and they do need to drive. You know, if you're uh, listening to the show, you know how important it is to drive in Western Massachusetts, especially. Um, and they're driving to work. They're driving to get their kids to school. They're driving to go to medical appointments. And every time they get behind the wheel, they are vulnerable to arrest, to deportation, and you know, and making the roads less safe for everyone. And so, we saw this as a uh, human rights issue, a civil rights issue, an immigrants' rights issue, and just an issue of safety and uh, you know, equal treatment of everyone. And so, we jumped in from the very beginning 
um, to help draft this law, to work with our partners to make it better. Um, and we, we really thought it was one of the best laws in the country when we passed it. And so we're hoping to, to keep it on the ballot this year. Yeah, one of the uh, points that I made in my piece in the Daily Hampshire Gazette on uh, over the weekend was that uh, what the Massachusetts legislature was able to do was to cull the laws in all the other states that have a similar law and incorporate into our version of it all of the best practices that have been developed and have been uh, clarified over the years while other states have uh, implemented this law. And I think that puts us in a really advantageous position. Your thoughts on that? Absolutely. We learned from all the other states, um, you know, as we were drafting this bill and redrafting and redrafting. And we did sit down with law enforcement partners to make the language even tighter to make sure that it was workable, right? That, you know, sometimes you write a law and you're not sure if it's going to be implemented well. So, you know, you write amendments, you work with people who are actually going to be implementing this law um, and make it so that, you know, it actually is a law that can work well for the Commonwealth. Um, and we did have that experience. You should see the charts that we have, our research going all the way back to the very first law, you know, back in uh, over 10 years ago in California. And we learned from, you know, their, uh, their experiences. We learned from their language. Of course, every state is a little bit different. And so we had to tailor it to Massachusetts, especially because our immigrant population is incredibly diverse, right? Unlike other states, people come to Massachusetts from all over the world. And so they're going to have different documents. They're going to have different statuses. And we had to make sure that it worked for our communities, um, taking the experience of other states, but also really tailoring it to the Commonwealth. Are you optimistic? Tomorrow's Election Day? We'll know the answer I, to this come Wednesday morning. But <laughs> how, how do you feel today? I am really optimistic. You know, we've been calling voters. We've been making thousands and thousands of calls and we're knocking on thousands and thousands of doors. And the response is really, really positive. Um, when we talk to people, when we tell them what it is, when we just explain it to them, they're a yes on four. I feel really good going into tomorrow. I suppose we should also clarify that the law as passed by the legislature would take effect next July 1st. And this yes vote will keep that law in place and will take place again. Take, take effect next July 1st. Is that right? That's correct. July 2023. And that's because we just needed a time, you know, for the implementation period to happen, you know, for the RMV to change its forms, for everyone to get their documents in place. Um, and so that's pretty common around the the nation that there, there might be like a one-year um, implementation period. One last thought. This bill makes Massachusetts the 17th or 18th state to have a type of Work and Family Mobility Act. Uh, I think we should celebrate that it was passed overwhelmingly in the last session. I think we should, uh, with some caution, celebrate that it will remain the law after Election Day tomorrow. But why has it taken Massachusetts so long to get here? You know, that's a really great question. And I think it's a question for legislators. Um, you know, I think there may be some hesitance to see what other states were doing. Um, and it just took a lot of work. We really wanted to get it right. We wanted to get the language right. And so I think that this bill, bill was originally um, filed almost 20 years ago. And then there was a you know hiatus, the administration's changed, priorities changed, but under the pandemic especially, I think legislators and the public came to realize just how important immigrants are in our economy, in our communities. You know, they they kept things going when many of us, myself included, were working from home, right? I mean, who was stocking the grocery store shelves? Who was caring for ill people? A lot of those jobs are done by undocumented people. And I think there was sort of an awakening to that by many in the public and the legislature that, um, you know, immigrants are really essential. And the fact that the federal, you know, the federal immigration system is not working and it's been decades to try to fix it, you know, going back to Ted Kennedy, um, we've been trying to fix this at the federal level for so long that it's really now time for states to do what we need to do, which is to, you know, deal with our road safety issues, deal with, the, you know, our issues at the state level as best that we can, um, and to, to really respect and um, help those members in our community that have become so essential. We have been speaking with Laura Rothelow. She is the field director for the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. The ACLU of Massachusetts is part of the Yes on Four Coalition for Safety. 
Laura, I hope tomorrow goes swimmingly. Thank you for all your work. Thank you, thank you, thank you so very, very much. Thank you so much, Bill. And everyone go out and vote. Yes, on four tomorrow. Don't forget to flip over your ballot. <laughs> A lot of the questions are on the back. Thank you so much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. I'm Sarah McEwen, the Nursing Director for Emergency and Ambulatory Services at Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Community hospitals are the cornerstone of health, healing, and well-being for our local community. It's a privilege and a pleasure to take care of our community, of you and the people you love. During this season of thanks, the Cooley Dickinson team is grateful to the community that supports us through your kind words, generous gifts, and legacy plans. Please visit us at cooleydickinson.org giving. This is Jim McGovern. As one of the last people off the House floor on January 6th, I've seen what big lies and dangerous conspiracies can do. And as political violence intensifies, as election deniers are empowered, white supremacists are emboldened, and after our Capitol building was attacked, I'm asking you to join me in saying enough to demand integrity and truth from our leaders. This is about freedom versus fascism. I'm asking for your vote on November 8th so we can keep our democracy alive. This is Jim McGovern, candidate for Congress, and I approve this message paid for by the Reelect McGovern Committee. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sauteed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sauteed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Well, tomorrow is Election Day, and so I thought we might spend a few minutes today talking about the election. We haven't spoken much on this show about the governor's race, which is actually, uh, I think, an oversight. The operating assumption, of course, has been that uh, Maura Healy and Driscoll, that ticket, will be elected and will be elected overwhelmingly here in Massachusetts. Uh, a progressive Democratic attorney general, although attorney general has been not a stepping stone to the governorship. In fact, that, that path that has been tried many times, mostly unsuccessfully, but it looks like Maura Healey will be uh, elected tomorrow. Still, people have to go out and do that. Her Republican opponent has, of course, been endorsed by Donald Trump. That doesn't seem like a really winning strategy here in Massachusetts. But but he was the one who won the Republican primary, which is interesting because you, when I think of Republicans from Massachusetts, I the, think of Governor the, Charlie Baker, who is Republican and conservative in so many traditional ways, but is very much against the sort of Trump takeover of the Republican Party or Mitt Romney, former governor of Massachusetts, who's one of the only senators who stood up against Trump vocally. Uh, so that's the kind of Republican that we're used to seeing in Massachusetts. And Massachusetts doesn't usually 
want to elect a Democratic governor and hasn't historically, except for uh, smattering since the 80s. So this will be an interesting uh, election tomorrow, I think. The Republican Party in Massachusetts, with its liberal bent, uh, goes back decades and decades with the Salton stalls and the lodges and the Cabots. Um, what was the old old line that the Salton stalls only speak to the lodges and the lodges speak only to God? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but in all seriousness, the Republican Party in Massachusetts, having lost its way and becoming having become a Trump party. I think shows something and demonstrates something about the extraordinary pull that Trump and Trumpism uh, has on Republicans across the country, where 80 percent of them believe a lie that the election was stolen. But they really believe it. I mean, deep in their souls and in their bones, they believe that that election, the last presidential election, was stolen, even though there's absolutely no factual basis for that belief. It's very close to religion. It's just faith. If Trump says it, it must be true, even though it's demonstrably a lie. It's re really, really quite extraordinary, I think. The other uh, state races, I think, worth noting, uh, and again, it doesn't seem to be uh, much of a campaign out here with regard to the attorney general's race, um, with regard to the race uh, for Congress. Uh, Congressman McGovern is, has, has a, uh, an opponent, um, I think that's, uh, well, everyone could have an opponent. That's fine. I think maybe everyone should have an opponent, <laughs> even Congressman McGovern. Well, if anyone should be declared a winner by unanimity, I, I, I make the motion that by <laughs> acclamation, we reelect Jim McGovern. We are so lucky to have him as our representative. And uh, of course, you have your McGoverning with McGovern. Governing with McGovern segment all the time. And I'm always struck at just how straightforward he is, direct, honest, complete. Um, it, you ask him a question, you get an answer. It's really a remarkable politician in that regard. Right. And it's been refreshing to have a politician like that since the redistricting of the last census when he walked into this studio for this show and said, I heard about that match thing that you do for the food <laughs> bank. I want to join you on it. And I said, sure you do, guy. You don't want to walk 26 miles, but sure enough. Now, State Representative Natalie Blake reached out to me when she was his aide and said he's really wanted to do this, so and he's done it ever since. Right, I remember he said, "I want to come on the march," and we looked at each other because just some, you know, some pal from Worcester who exactly. we'd never met before, and rolled our eyes and said, "Sure, he will," um, <laughs> but at least he knew. He, and then we said, "Well, he was smart to say it. Let's get that." Right. And then, before the first march. His staffer called up and said he's planning to be there. It's on his calendar. He's stuck in Washington at the moment for uh, uh, a vote he has to be here on and so on. Um, and he will definitely be there next year. And we said, well, that was the greatest excuse ever given, really. That was terrific. And then every year since, he religiously is on this march. Even when I expanded it out of his district from Springfield to Northampton, he does the whole kit and caboodle, the 43 miles. Yes. It's, that being said, yes, incumbents have a tremendous advantage and... Also, maybe I don't want, you know, personally, Jim McGovern to have to leave Congress, but term limits or numbers of terms, we we will always elect the same people. There are other elections and other elected officials in our area who uh, it would be nice to see a real challenge to their power year after year when even the best candidates who have stood up to them seem to be uh, cut down at the knees. Jim you McGovern. know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Monty, we're trying to have a nice march where everyone gets along. I, <laughs> I didn't mention anybody by name. You did not. You did not. But let me be clear that uh, Monty's love for Jim McGovern is unbounded in his respect as well. So Right. But I love the democratic process as well. And I think that, you know, there's times to bring new voices into the conversation. And that's hard to do with incumbency and without any term limits. But Jim McGovern is, of course, as chair of the rules. Well, Republicans take over tomorrow, <clears throat> it seems likely they will in the House. He will no longer be chair of rules, but he has done a remarkable job for us and our district while he has been chair of the Rules Committee and Absolutely. The House of Representatives. No so, argument there. So good for him. So we're going to vote uh, for. Sorry, Monty, why are I you voting myself? <laughs> no, I didn't. I did not. I always pretend, I always tell Jim McGovern that I'm going to run against him as a joke, but then I don't, of course, and nor would I ever. <laughs> so I also think we should uh, make one mention of the uh, 
governor's council race, which we spent a lot of time on, and uh, uh, Tara Jacobs has an opponent. Uh, the Republican is a, a semi-retired veterans agent. His last name is Comerford, who has no relationship whatsoever politically, ideologically, or by family with our state senator who was with us earlier today, Joe Comerford. Uh, Tara Jacobs is not, was not my candidate in the, prim in the preliminary, the primary, Democratic primary, but there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever in my mind that she'll represent our values and our priorities and will be a good spokesperson for Western Massachusetts and will vote for the kind of judges we want as opposed to her Republican opponent, Comerford, who will vote for judges, law and order judges, who are going to, and as he says, I'm not interested in commutations, I'm not really interested in parole. He's a law and order guy going back to the 80s as far as, or the 70s as far as I, could, I can tell. Tara Jacobs is the person I have voted for for governor's council, and I really hope she will win. I would like also to uh, uh, note the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, a long article on the sheriff's race uh, where uh, Patrick Kalane, the incumbent, is running for a second term as sheriff. Uh, this has been a contested race, and uh, his opponent have made, has made a number of uh, accusations. Uh, for me, and obviously people need to make their own judgments about all of this, but for me, uh, it's really important that our local sheriff run a safe jail. And what I hear from defense attorneys over and over again is they have clients in jail. They're either being held on bail or they're serving some time. Um, but Hampshire County is a safe jail. And that, for me, is a crucially important fact. I'm also very impressed with the education programs which Pat Kalane has uh, implemented. I am very impressed with the programming that goes on in the jail. His educational efforts are second to no other sheriff, as far as I'm concerned. He has been a progressive voice. He has uh, implemented the Nurturing Fathers program, and the list of accomplishment goes on and on and on. And he is a proven quantity and someone who is moving uh, the operations of law enforcement into the community in a way that I think is effective and important. And that's why I have voted for Pat K. Lane for sheriff. The last 15 seconds before we sign off on election. We'll have live election coverage tomorrow night as the polls close. There'll be a cavalcade of WHMP hosts will be here breaking down the local elections, the national elections. We'll see what happens with the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate and more tomorrow at 8 o'clock right here on WHMP. We'll see you all then. Thank you, Monty. Plexiglass. Oh, and having a solid dental plan? That's probably a good idea, too. Hit the ice all season long right here on the UMass Sports Network. 1015, 1400, and 1240 WHMP. Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash New England. A public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock.